Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today is my great pleasure to welcome Nelson Gilead to the show. Welcome, Nelson. Thanks, Jeremy. Hey, everyone. Good to be here. Nelson is the author of a new book that's out called The Death of the SDR and the Birth of Buyer-Centric Revenue. He's got some very counter ideas that I think are really interesting to explore. Uh, In addition to writing that book, he is also a demand generation manager at Centerbase, and they are a practice management software provider to law firms. Of course, we're not going to be talking about practice management. We're going to be talking about alternatives especially to the predictable revenue model. We're going to talk about getting rid of quotas and commissions. It should be a pretty fascinating conversation. Uh, Before we do that, love to get to know our guests. So Nelson, uh, my favorite question as of late has been to understand what hobbies people either picked up during COVID or accelerated on during COVID. What are maybe one or two of your more interesting or unusual hobbies? Yeah, sure. So I love philosophy. I uh, discovered it in college. And so I know it's not probably terribly exciting for most people, given the reputation of, of modern philosophy, which is rightly deserved. But yeah, I'd love to kind of, you know, uh, understand, you know, more about philosophy and answer the big questions, get into the, the deep ideas that we all kind of, you know, wrestle with. I'm an objectivist. That's the philosophy that, that I hold, philosophy of Ayn Rand. I kind of take a, you know, like a graduate level course. I, you know, I do a lot of reading and writing. And so that kind of keeps my mind going and, and challenges me and actually helped me to, to write this book, funny enough. Philosophy of the Guide is immensely practical. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's meant to guide your life. You know, in a way, I'm a philosophy philosopher for marketing and sales. <laughs> so hopefully it helps marketing sales to just imagine what philosophy can do for philosophy for your whole life. I did read Atlas Shrugged ages and ages ago. Folks who listen regularly to the podcast know I read a lot. I'm also reading... It's not so much philosophy, but I'm reading a book called These Truths right now by it's either Jill Lepore or Jill Lepore. I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name properly, but it's about kind of a history of the United States, but with a, a heavy philosophical bent to it. She's a historian, but obviously historians also have to understand a lot of philosophy. I suspect, as you were saying, it's, it's yet another way of thinking deeply about things. And this allows you to question the way that we're operating in the world of sales today and, and how we got here and whether that is uh, an optimal place to be. Let's, let's get into it. Yeah, essentially like high level, the predictable revenue model, obviously it's like outdated, but you know, it's created 10 years ago based on Aaron Ross's experience 20 years ago on how marketing and sales used to be done uh, at the time. It really hasn't changed. And so at the end of the day, I think it is fundamentally anti-buyer and because it's anti-buyer it, it's anti-everyone uh, you know sellers marketers the the companies that run this model to the extent they run this model the vc firms that have to throw bad money at it and so you know if you think about the ways in which it annoys buyers i think it's primarily two ways the first one is annoying them with what i consider bad manual marketing from the pre-internet era which is quote-unquote prospecting and the second thing is handoffs. And then it's not a predictable revenue thing, but um, just a bad practice that's been around for a while, which is quotas and commissions um, that are designed to pressure sellers so that they pressure buyers. Now, how it's affecting sellers, I think, so one is it forces 
people who want to get into sales, aspiring sellers, to first have to go through the whole bad manual marketing drudgery phase, which is the SDR, the prospecting role. And then if they escape from the SDR role to sales, then they are forced onto that sales assembly line where they only have partial responsibility and ownership over the sales process, over the buyer relationship, which stunts their growth, their efficacy, and I think their job satisfaction. And then on top of that, right, you have your unpredictable and unfair commissions, which are designed to pressure them. I think markets have to, you know, they're, they're also in the straitjacket because they have to cater to this model. So they have to generate a lot of contact information of uninterested buyers. Companies who run this model negatively affect their growth. And they would be better off scrapping prospecting, scrapping the sales assembly line, scrapping commissions and quotas. So I think it's time to kind of change this go-to-market model, primarily to be buyer-centric. You know, the, who's involved in the process is better off for it. So I think it starts, first of all, with, with prospecting. Throw out the inbound-outbound distinction. I think it's a false dichotomy. I think all marketing is outbound. The only question is whether it's buyer-friendly or not. And today, marketing can do so many things that are buyer-friendly, that are ROI-friendly, that's scalable, compounding yields, cater to how buyers want to be marketed to and how they buy. And in contrast, I, I think prospecting, which is you know primarily telemarketing and then your email sequences and your physical mail or whatnot or your LinkedIn messages, it's just a far inferior, it's inefficient, it's ineffective. It, it produces the results that it produces and you're looking at you know, revenue and number of deals, and you're looking at conversion rates and your cost per acquisition and churn, and you compare that to, I would say, proper marketing, it's night and day. And then your SDRs would tell you, or your salespeople would tell you, like, you know, what are good leads and what leads do they prefer? Okay, so let's assume that you throw away the noisy part of outbound. What do you propose instead? What's the alternative? What, what is proper marketing? It's a lot of things. So it could be buyer self-service to the extent they want it, you know, slash the freemium model, a podcast like yours, LinkedIn organic ads, you know, paid ads on social, whatnot, Google, but uh, events, various different events, roundtables, panels, summits, whatever, webinars, same thing, you know, great content marketing with really good distribution on social, review sites, case studies, partnerships, influencer marketing, communities. The user gems play, you know, remarketing to previous buyers and users that change jobs automatically, referral campaigns, recycle campaigns, win back campaigns. Just have a really awesome website where buyers can go self-educate themselves. Have a free demo recording on it so they don't have to go through the whole song and dance to speak to sales. Have a transparent pricing page with a video explainer. You know, at least put some ballpark figures there or a pricing plan builder. Have an ROI calculator. Have an FAQ page. You know, give the buyers the ability to kind of carry themselves through the buying journey. When it comes to SaaS financing and growth models, there's, there's some crap there. And I think VCs are hurting for that. Like I think there are in a lot of PE firms, and I've seen it time and time again at different companies, they're just wasting money. You know, it's palpable to VCs and PE firms who are willing to waste money, but they don't have to. They would find this very attractive because they don't have to waste all this money and they wouldn't end up with a rotten tomato at the end of the day. But I would say SDRs are on net negative brand. I think they negatively impact people's brand. And I've been on the receiving end of that or, or having done it myself, it just poisons buyers' perception of your brand. You know, they tune you out and they turn, you know, it just turns them off versus proper marketing. Um, I think also when it comes to potential talent, um, I think a lot of people are turned off to sales 
because they have to go through the SDR grind and whatnot, and they don't want to do that. Also, I would say marketers, like marketing is a little bit more ahead of sales in trying to break free from the predictable revenue model, primarily led by Chris Walker. You know, they are frustrated that they are in the straight jacket, whereas in B2C, they have more creative freedom. It can be more buyer-friendly. In B2B, they just, they're kind of stuck on this, you know, what they call the MQL, like hamster wheel, you know, lead gen model. And so they're trying to break free of it. I'm with you on the, uh, on the SDR thing. Uh, what do you think about, so Watney Conant, Sixth Sense CMO, espouses this philosophy. She wrote it in her book. Their, their philosophy is, is it's not that they don't do any cold calling or cold emailing and whatever, but they only do it when they have detected intent, right? So like they're sniffing around. Now I'm going to prospect them. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's slightly less awful. People should come to you when they're ready to buy. And when they do, make it super easy for them, connect them easily with sales. So just keep doing the things that providing value and content and doing all the proper marketing. And at the end of the day, when you do that and they come to you and you do that good process, your CAC, your LTV, your churn, your conversion rates, your average sales cycle, the amount of revenue, the number of customers you bring will be dramatically better. Fair. Okay. Let's shift over to quota. I'm fascinated by the idea of quota-less compensation plans, right? And I once ran into some, a company, their CRO was very proud of quotaless comp plan. But what he was actually doing was, it was basically a banded comp plan. So let's say the company wanted to pay 20% of sales as compensation. So, you know, someone comes in and they sell somewhere around 500,000. Like they come in, they get a $100,000 comp plan. They sell around 500,000. Okay, next year it's the same. Eventually, they work their way up to, let's say, a million dollars in sales or make it 750000 So they fall into a new band ranging from, let's say, six fifty to eight fifty. but they actually did seven fifty. So now they're on a $150,000 plan. And you know, as long as they stay in that range of, of six fifty to eight fifty, they're going to be paid $150,000, $150,000, $150,000. So they're basically, you know, I mean, we have some sellers who do that, right? We have some, some rainmakers. They've been around five, six years, highly skilled. They're the full deal. And if we don't pay them 20% of what they're bringing in, they're going to go somewhere else. So what I would say, because my, my proposed solution to commissions is just a normal salary and bonus. And so you get the full cake, which is the salary. So let's just say that's 100% of OTE. Based on your you know, performance, you know, I think both individual and team, you get some bonus based off of that. The, the payment compensation structure is just like every other department in B2B. Now, how FP&A or how the finance team adjusts salary and adjusts bonuses based on the amount of revenue that a seller brings in or, or the matrix that a sales manager puts forward when they assess all the KPIs for a seller in addition to quota that should be taken into account to determine a seller's salary and determine their bonus. There's a second thing that was on my mind. And the second thing was on my mind was this is extreme. Okay. So Best Buy years ago, and the setup here is people are in the store. Marketing has done their job. They, they stuffed newspapers and back in the newspaper days, right? <laughs> uh, so people were in the store. And Best Buy, they decided to stop having their reps be on commission. A new CEO, I think a new CEO came in and like got rid of commissions and said, it's all team. And he was reacting to his own, I guess, personal experience in the store where... Right, the salesperson is super duper aggressive 
And obviously there were other factors going on in big box retail at the time, but there was a pretty direct line from that decision to cratering in sales in the following quarter. Yeah. And this trend is, it's not just happening in B2B. There are B2B companies that have gotten rid of commissions and seen, you know, the light and experienced the wonderful benefits. There's a lot of it happening in B2C and Best Buy, I guess, is one of them. Tesla is another, you know, where, yeah, you don't want to go into a store and just get jumped because the seller's livelihood is dependent on your, you know, your purchase. You know, you pay your sellers properly with a salary and bonus so they're not starving or desperate or whatever, and they're quite happy and they'll take care of the customer. So I think it's a huge competitive advantage right now for, for those B2B companies. There's money.com, there's Backblaze. They're saying those companies dropped commission and quota? Oh, yeah, there's several. And I mentioned a bunch in my book. So there's also Culture Amp, whatnot. There's a lot of uh, misunderstanding. And I think sellers are getting screwed, buyers are getting screwed. And so ultimately, the whole reason for the book is, you know, marketers and sellers can have more productive and fulfilling careers, including myself. You know, when it comes to commissions, obviously, like the majority of sales compensation is half salary, half commission. So 50% of compensation is guaranteed and predictable through a salary. And the other 50% is variable and unpredictable through commission provided for attainment. So commissions really are not icing on a cake like a bonus, really half the cake that you may never even eat. So in a sense, I think commissions symbolize 50% of a seller's missing salary pending performance. So essentially, it's half now, half later when the job is done. And, and it cuts the value of sellers in half before they walk in the door. Now, let me just stress again, you know, I talked about quotas, that a seller can do everything right, but it's still the buyer's choice to buy, and the buyer may, not, may choose not to for a variety of reasons unrelated to the seller and outside the seller's control. So a seller is not the primary, the only factor in the buyer's decision to purchase. I would say, if anything, marketing probably has a, a greater influence on the buyer's journey uh, to purchase and sales these days. Commission and, and, and salary, a dollar commission, a dollar salary are not equal. Commissions are overwhelmingly unfavorable in terms of risk, predictability, probability, simplicity, transparency, taxes, loans. Commissions are tax higher, and it makes it hard to get a loan because it's variable income. They take time to generate, depending on your ramp time and your sales cycle, which can be six months or more. They reset to zero whenever your quarter resets, so that's monthly or quarterly typically. It depends on variable factors outside of the seller's full control. You know, at worst, it's like a deceptive ploy to lure the, the naive, de- desperate, or financially irresponsible with promises of big or unlimited sums of potential money. And then once sellers take that bait, then their commissions are sort of used as a manipulative care and stick to foster pressure selling through, through greed and desperation. It also allows companies to promise unrealistic compensation plans and say, yeah, OTE or whatever, your on-target earnings, like your whole thing is commissioned, it's $800 million or whatever, and knowing that many will fall short, and we know that most sellers miss their quota. Now, I think it's very ironic that these very same companies, which are trying to pursue predictable revenue and cash flow, they're trying to woo these sellers with the opposite. So these companies don't compensate themselves with commissions from their customers' revenue. They don't pay their vendors with commissions. They don't woo talent in any other department with commissions. They don't pay commissions to software engineers for a good product commissions to a lawyer for good risk mitigation, an accountant for good budgeting, an HR person for good, admi- good administration, a good firing, or a marketer for a good brand and demand. Yeah, it's something that's a relic from the past, and it's something that uh, turns a lot of people off to sales, and it creates really bad sales behaviors. I'm not a sports person, but sports just popped into my mind because there's humongous disparities in 
the way that athletes are paid from the the starter superstar, the LeBron James, down to the last person on the bench who mm-hmm. may not get any playing time. So what I would say is that a good, a better seller deserves a higher salary and a higher bonus. When people fully understand, and I think people don't understand the, the, the true nature of commissions, there's, you know, they just kind of conflate commissions with like a bonus, like a job well done. That's not the case. Yeah, if you want to reward better sellers, then you reward them, I think, properly with, with a better salary and a better bonus. So a top seller, if you are aware of the true nature of commission and, and financial drawbacks and all that type of stuff, I mean, would you really want your compensation to be half salary and half potential commissions? Or would you prefer a guaranteed full salary and a bonus like other employees? So I would say if you're a top seller, you would want to gun for the highest salary and the highest bonus that you can, the predictable revenue, the predictable cash flow, so that you can budget the long-term profitability. If you are uh, an experienced seller in your late 20s and 30s, and chances are you have more financial obligations than in your early 20s and whatnot, it's not great to be on commission. That's why you would never want to work for 100% commission. It's a little bit slightly less bad that you work for 50% commission. And such sellers, I think, move out of. Since most people are risk averse, I think it does apply to most people. I, I don't deny that. It's a risk reward trade off, as I believe, rightly or wrongly, that I, as a seller on a 50 50 comp plan, you know, have the opportunity to earn tons and tons of money because it's almost like you walk into a casino and you hear the ding, 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 ding of the slot machine. You think you're going to be that person who is the top salesperson in the company that took home $500,000, a million dollars, right? Because they got into massive accelerators. It's just as much a fiction in sales organizations as it is in the casino. If you're going to go work for a company in a nine to five job, you are trading off your entrepreneurship and, and ownership of a company and whatnot, you know, for predictable revenue, but for that type of stuff, that's the nature of a salary job and a bonus. You know, back in the day, part of the reason for commissions was to offer a false carrot and stick because the sale role was so crappy where you had to go and do all this prospecting bid, you know, maybe it was a hundred percent commission or whatever and, and whatnot. It was like, well, how the hell are we going to motivate sellers to do such a, an annoying, awful drudgery well, if we can kind of promise them unlimited sums of money that maybe some people, some of the time, very rarely might actually hit. And then, you know, the other people would look on greedily and stuff like that. And it's just, you know, like a drug addict or something like that. And it's also, some of it is a bit of psychology as well. For the same reason, for the same purpose that a telemarketer, on the very rare occasion that a buyer doesn't get annoyed and takes the meeting, that can give them some sort of spiritual and emotional fuel to keep going because they feel like they're, they're providing actual value. Similarly, if you've got a commission or whatever, you know, that's money in my pocket because I've done my job. But it's like the truth of the matter is it's just like get rid of that, have a proper salary, get that proper paycheck in, increase your salary you know, as much as you can and increase your bonus as much as you can through, through proper performance. So if right now, let's say the average uh, AE's compensation plan is 120,000 OTE, 60,000 salary or 60,000 commissions if you hit your target for 120,000 salary plus a bonus. And that's what really I think sellers should be getting, especially proper sellers. And not to say that you can't earn more or less than that, but I'm just saying like fight for full salary and fight for quote and sales leaders that want to attract the best talent, keep the best talent, motivate the best talent, offer them a, you know, a proper salary. And I think that, and show that respect to your sellers that they're, that they're not getting with commissions. Commissions are more costly and risky to a company than a salary and bonus. Why? 
consider the cost risk of turning off talent to sales in the first place, of attracting the, the naive, desperate, financially responsible who don't know better about commission, don't know the true nature, of driving away the experienced and tenured sellers who have greater financial obligations and want predictable revenue, and so they go into other positions, of the decreased productivity, performance, and tenure that we see in sales now, um, turning off your buyers with desperate and pushy sellers, of wasting all that time and energy coming up with the convoluted commission structures and constantly changing them, of the commission calculation tracking and, and, and payments and stuff like that, of all the financial unpredictability of variable payroll. It's a variable payroll. So it's an expense that a company cannot predict. And then all the bickering and all that type of stuff that happens between sales and the company over commissions and that your sellers are trying to you know, focus on well, how, how much money am I going to make this year? Oh, well, I don't really know. Based on my pipeline, I got to figure this out. I'm not sure if that's going to close. Like, oh, but the commission payment was like, uh, it's like a significant value of, of offering your employees a salary and a bonus is, you know, is that you take a risk on your employees as a company so that they take a risk on your company, that they don't go work for themselves. They don't go work for a different company. Now, the only way that you can mitigate the risk of unproductive employees is by hiring the right people for the right roles, through the right things, in the right ways, with the right technology, with the right training, the right coaching, the right metrics, and the right compensation, et cetera. If someone is not performing, then you just find out why and you try to coach them and help them remediate, or you have to let them go. You don't, at the, out, out the outset, withhold 50% of everyone's compensation, you know, pending an outcome that's partially you know, inside of their control. Hey, Nelson, thanks so much for being on the show today. Uh, that was a super fascinating discussion and, and I think some really provocative ideas that I think are, are worthy for a lot of sales leaders and, and sales professionals to, to consider. If people want to learn more about you, obviously they can pick up your book, The Death of the SDR and the Birth of Buyer-Centric Revenue. A pretty quick read. I think it's like 72 pages or something like that with, again, some, some interesting ideas. But otherwise, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, for sure. So follow me on LinkedIn, Nelson Gilead. I'm dropping a lot of content, a lot of posts uh, about the stuff to kind of give it some more color. So check me out on LinkedIn. You can grab a copy of the book on Amazon. It's free if you have Amazon Prime. So Kindle version now for all you Kindle lovers. Uh, working on the paperback, so stay tuned for that if, uh, if you like the, uh, the physical paper. So thank you so much, Jeremy, for having me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Nelson. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.